right, good morning. Happy 4th of July. Good to see you in the house of the Lord today. I mean, rather be here than the best ICU unit in the hospital. All right. <laughs> Amen. Ron said y'all was tough. I got to come break this ice. Glory to God. I am glad to see you. I was thinking uh, today driving in that, uh, you know, very few Sundays, I think, in my 30-something years have I actually been in church on the 4th. It's normally we've always had a tradition with our family to be also at the beach on the 4th. But, uh, but we're glad to, to be here and uh, to be with you. And we, we do have a lot to be thankful for as a nation. And, uh, you know, there's so many things that people uh, say about America. But I surely agree with, with Ron. Uh, I've not been to near as many places as he has, but I've been to some third world countries, and I couldn't wait to get back home. And we are so, so blessed and, uh, to live in this nation where we can come and assemble like this. And I remember when I, you can be seated, when I was preaching in uh, Bulgaria, which at one time was a totally communist nation, uh, the pastor there kind of warned me, I guess, and said, now there'll no doubt be secret police that will be in attendance uh, to the meetings and uh, just monitoring what you say because of you coming from America. And uh, which that doesn't, that kind of makes you a little, you know, nervous, I guess. And I remember when my oldest son called one time, they had told us that the lines would, were, you know, pretty sure the lines are tapped so that they can listen in on conversations. And so they, you know, I was, you know, being a little bit elusive in my conversation with my son. And he finally, he said, Daddy, there's something wrong. What's wrong? He said, if you don't tell me what's wrong, I'm going to get on a plane. I'm going to come over there <laughs> and get you. And I just and I just said, you know, then I said, well, you know, they say they probably are listening in on us. And he said, oh, okay. But, you know, we don't have any of that here, praise God, and, and just be able to assemble and to come together and just declare God's word. Ephesians 2.22 is my text this morning. This is what I was going to preach last Sunday. And uh, we went another way if you were here. And we're and, and, and so thankful. Had a lot of people uh, text and email about the service, and I'm glad it was a blessing uh, to those that needed to hear that. Uh, we're going to talk about the habitational culture of grace, and I want to read the King James Version, and then we'll read the New King James in a moment, but it says, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation, there's the word, of God through the Spirit. The New King James Version says that we are a dwelling place. Everybody say dwelling place. Notice it doesn't say visiting place. It's not a visiting place. It's, it's a dwelling place. God is not your cousin. He's your husband. He's not coming for a visit. He's coming to dwell and to stay. And so there's a big difference between a, our understanding of what the habitational culture of grace provides for us versus the old covenant, which was a visitational covenant. And what I mean by that is under the old covenant, God could and at times would come upon people, and he would empower them for, for, for the task that was at hand, but then he would not remain on them, he would depart off of them. 
And that's why that King David, after he had really uh, messed up in Psalm 51, uh, he cried out and he said, Lord, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. You remember reading that? He said, do not take your Holy Spirit. Now that prayer was absolutely appropriate for David in that visitational culture. But that prayer is inappropriate for us to pray today in the habitational culture of grace. And, and, I, and I hope you understand that. And why? It's easy. They've said it up here today uh, during the worship. God will never leave us. How many knows what that means? He will never, ever leave us, and he will never forsake us. We have now become, the Bible says, the dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And so God doesn't have his suitcase packed up. He's just waiting on you to mess up. God doesn't come and go. God doesn't pout and refuse to talk to you when you sin and mess up and, and remain silent. God doesn't refuse to answer your prayers. God, God doesn't do any of those things that, that still people are, you know, what I just call covenant confusion. Uh, one of the things that, that, that around the 4th, and I've already seen it several times, and it's, and it's amazing to me how popular this verse still remains, and, uh, but, and, you, and you know it well, and it's quoted a lot. It's already been posted a lot as we approach the 4th of July on social media by many Christians. And, and, uh, and what it says uh, in Second Chronicles 7 and 14, it says, If my people uh, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then it goes, Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will hear their, and heal their land. So you see a lot of Christians posting this on social media. They, they quote it. They talk about it. They pray it. They make it the theme of meetings, themes of revivals and stuff like that. And, it, and it's, it's, it's so inappropriate for this habitational culture that we live in because it, it charges for what is now for, for free. In other words, it puts a price tag on God's grace. And, and thank God that the, the, the cross... The new covenant changed everything. It, it changed everything. And so, you know, two classic signs. Now listen to me on this. Two classic signs uh, of covenant confusion. In other words, when Christians are a little bit confused about the, the habitational culture of grace versus the, the visitational culture of grace is, is this. And I know that, that most of you know this, but number one is you interpret the word repentance as it means to turn from sin. Now that's a very popular, very common definition even today that you'll see posted, people will talk about, and, and that, that's their definition of what repentance means, and they'll say it means to turn from sin. Uh, the, the second uh, classic sign of covenant confusion is that you think that repenting to God will get God to forgive you. Uh, I've preached this over and over. I've declared this to you. Uh, God does not need your or my permission to forgive us. And listen to this. And he don't even need your repentance to forgive you. Yeah, I should have got a better one than that one at Grace Point. Uh, God, God doesn't need your permission to forgive you, to deal with your sin. 
and he, and he doesn't need your repentance in order to forgive you because the fact is that God forgave you before you were born. And the Bible says in the New Testament, in accordance to, to the riches of his grace, Ephesians 1 and 7. Now, if, you, if, you're, if you're not born again, you're not enjoying the benefit of that forgiveness. But you're still forgiven. God's not angry with you. God's, God's not mad with you. Uh, God's not punishing you. Jesus Christ bore the punishment and the verdict of sin on the cross over 2,000 years ago. And so, but this verse still remains so popular today, and people quote it often, and they, they portray it. Out. And imagine what that does to people that are not even born again. And they read all these conditional statements that God says, if you do this. In other words, so what Second Chronicles 7 and 14 says, it says this is what you've got to do, that you've got to humble yourself. Uh, number two, you got to pray. Number three, you got to seek. And number four, you got to turn. Well, what if you only do three out of the four? Do you get three fourths forgiveness? Or what if you only do two of the four requirements here? Do you only get half forgiveness? You see how ridiculous that is? And yet, this verse remains so popular and so quoted and so preached and so declared. And, and they normally apply this verse to, uh, of course, we are in America, they apply it to America. In other words, if America don't do this, then God's going to come and God's going to send the hurricanes and God's going to send the tornadoes and God's going to drown some people and God's going to... See, all of that is just... And we wonder why it's hard to get people to come to church. But because of the God that they hear portrayed by the church and they hear that God does this kind of stuff and that God's angry and, and God's vengeful and God's wrathful and God's sadistic and God does all... And, and God's not that God. That God, God's not that God at all. So, but, but thank God for the cross because it, it changed everything. Now, now you, you got to understand this. Ephesians 1 and 3 says this, Praise be to, to God uh, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us uh, in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Is that what it says? He's, he's already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the spirit, in the heavenly realm, in Christ Jesus. So where are all the blessings? They're, they're, they're in Christ. So here's a question for you. Uh, if we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ, then I want to ask you what blessings remain for us outside of Christ. I'm waiting for an answer. How many blessings are there waiting on you that are outside of Christ, waiting on you? None. Okay, now what you hear popular in the church is, and, I'm and again, I'm talking about believers. More, Lord. More of you. We just need more of you, God. If I had more of you and less of me, my life would be better. I'd be a better Christian. I'd be a better, better person. I'd be this. And, and so you, you pray that prayer as if God didn't give you 100% of, of, of himself to you. So how much percent do you know God gave you then? If, if your glass is full, you can't ask for more. See, there is a huge myth. In the, I mean, come on, guys. You know that you, we, most of us grew up around this kind of talk. Lord, we just need more of you. Father, we just, pro, we just ask for more of you, more of your Holy Spirit. He's already given you the Holy Spirit. There's not a child Holy Spirit. There's not a kindergarten Holy Spirit. There's not a junior high Holy Spirit. 
There's the Holy Spirit, period. The Bible says when you're born again, you have received the fullness of God in Christ Jesus. See, we, we've got to get to the place with grace that we actually believe the message and stop echoing and stop repeating all this stuff that is simply not true. And, 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 and it's confusing to people. I worry more about the people that are coming up and hearing all this stuff. It just perpetuates it, and, and we still have to deal with it. Because as you think, so are you. In other words, what you think is how you're going to conduct yourself. And, and, and we have to see that, that we are in a different culture now. It is a habitational culture of grace. And, and so you got to understand what repentance really is. Now, I, I think everybody knows what the definition of repentance is. You hear it often here. What does repent mean? Think differently. All right? But do you know you could ask that in the average church in America and you would ask them what it means and they'd mean to, they would say turn from sin. And the focus would be on turning from sin. But you realize that you could turn from a sin, but that doesn't make you a saint. Example, Pharisees. Nobody turned from sin no more than the Pharisees did, but they were just simply dizzy sinners from all their constant turning. Because, listen, it's not turning from something that makes you a new creation. It's turning to someone. And I don't have to worry about the sin. All I have to do is decide who I'm going to turn to, and I'm going to turn to Jesus. When you turn to Jesus, how many would agree that you have just turned your back on sin? You don't have to make that your focus. You don't have to try to overcome it. He, you couldn't. He did. That's why you turn to the one who has overcome. And now we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. See, he, he's the conqueror. We just turn to him, to him and, and we're in a, in a totally uh, different culture now. Jesus now is the firm foundation. We, 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 don't have to, we don't have to fluctuate back into, it's not turning from, it's turning to whom? And it's turning to Jesus. And, when, and the Bible does say, I told you this over and over, it says, let us lay aside every sin, every weight, it actually says, and the sin which so easily causes us to stumble, besets us, is the, one, one of the translations. It says, let us turn from this. Let, let us turn from this. Let us lay aside everything. And then it gives a comma, and it tells you how to do it. Looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our what? Of our faith. See, turning to Jesus, turning to God, is not something that we initiate. It's something that we're responding to. We are literally just responding to, to God's gift of grace. You know, one thing I posted, you know, just uh, yesterday, I think it was, that God, out of the, the, the song, America, you know, God shed his grace on thee, talking about this nation. And, and that's a wonderful song, wonderful words, because it's so true. The grace of God has appeared to all men, the Bible says. But now all men haven't received that grace. They've not enjoyed the benefit of that grace. They have not believed in that grace. But this Second Chronicles 7 and 14, turn, you know, if, if my people which are called. See, God's... People love to reach in the old covenant, snatch out a verse out of context, and then make it law. It's ridiculous. That verse is written to, to the Jewish nation, to the Jewish people. If you look at it in context, Solomon, King Solomon, is dedicating the temple in Israel. If you're going to take that verse, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, then that means you've got to take verse 13, and you've got to take verse 15 with it. And you don't want to do that. Because it says that God will hear prayers prayed from that place. 
So certain that means you got to go back to Solomon's temple and you got to face the right direction for God to hear your prayer. You want that part of the verse? I didn't think you did. So don't reach in and just quote one little part that you don't even know what you're quoting. God is God was answering Solomon's prayer as he dedicated the temple that Solomon had built for God. And God was talking to his Jewish people in the context. Uh, uh, and, and, and under the old covenant, the visitational culture, yes, uh, God's uh, uh, blessing and favor upon them was conditional upon their obedience to the law, their behavior, in other words. And, 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 but we're not in that culture now, thank God. And, and we're not saying sin willy-nilly and go out and do I mean, see, the picture of this is, is kind of like the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Now, the Bible says that Jesus uh, commanded them, remove the stone. The stone, if you will, prophetically, uh, symbolically here, if you will, it represents the stone, the, the, the law, the old covenant that was written on stone. Uh, and, and so the, what, what was going on with Lazarus? He's dead. What was going on with us? We're, we're behind the law. The law has killed us. The letter killeth. The law has killed us. We can't live it. We're, we're dead. What man, what man does is he puts grave clothes on, the grave clothes of religion. That's man's attempt to try to have a religion to preserve what's dying anyway. It's nothing more than another version of the fig leaves in the garden, right? And so God says, remove the stone. He calls Lazarus by name, and, and he says, loose him from what? From these grave clothes of religion. Lazarus had been dead four days. Jesus came uh, on, on, four, on the fourth day, if you will, 4,000 years. In other words, we've been 4,000 years without this, this, this grace of God being bestowed upon mankind in that way. Glory to God. And God called Lazarus out and said, loose him from this. There's no religion. There's no fig leaves. None of this stuff works. It's coming to Jesus. It's turning to Jesus. And, and, and that's, that's what the new covenant is about. That's what it means to, to repent. It means, and I still see these signs. You know, and, and this is real popular. You see this. I still see this posted on some of these marquees at churches. They'll, and I guess they think it's cute, and it shows their ignorance. They put up signs like turn or burn. You ever heard that one? Sure you have. Turn or burn. What do they mean? Repent. Turn from sin or burn. I've seen churches put on their marquee, you know, uh, eternity. You know, smoking or non-smoking section. I mean, what would cause a church to get so disconnected from people that it would put up stuff like that and think that's cute? What do you think that does to the average lost guy riding by that church and reading that? Turn or burn? In other words, God is so sorry and so just not a big deal that you, the only way you get to God is you have to threaten. You, God, you know, you have to threaten. In other words, if they wasn't in hell or you know, whatever you'll deal with, it, in other words, you've got to threaten them to get them in. You've got to scare them. Got to tell car wreck stories. Got to dangle them over hell on a rotten stick. What kind of God is so pitiful that you got to do that to get people to love him? You know, it's quiet in our little Presbyterian church this morning. See, do you see why the new covenant is the better covenant 
Hebrew says, with better promises. It's just better. And so you got to understand that that turning from sin is not necessarily turning to God. There's a lot of religions in the world that tell you don't do this, don't do that, all that kind of stuff. But it, it, it doesn't bring... It doesn't bring the salvation that only comes through Jesus. Can you say amen? When, when we sin, I mean, God's not going, yay, they're sinning. I mean, he's, he's not, you know, I, I just don't get that image or picture. But he's also not angry with you. Uh, he, he doesn't punish us even or beat us when we sin. I, I will tell you what he does do, according to Luke 15, is he kisses you. So we got the prodigal guy. Nobody's blown it worse than that guy. And what does the father do? And that father there is Father God that's being portrayed in the heart of God towards us on our worst days. And it says he fell upon his neck and he kissed him. Now, now why would he kiss him? That's not the normal reaction you get from people. I've said this before. It's like, you know, you, your kid comes home from school Let's just say they're 10 years old. They bring home a bunch of Fs, you know. And, and that doesn't stand for fantastic. And so what's your first reaction as a mom and dad when you, when you get that? Do you, my God, do, do you pound your fist on the table? Do you pace? Do you swear and cuss? threaten, I'm going to take away this, I'm going to take away that. And what, how, what, how, what's your reaction? I know that's sounding familiar to some of you. I see your head's going, because mm-hmm. that's what you got from your parents when, they, when, they, when, they, when you brought home something that wasn't. You know what it does to your parents? It terrifies them. Because in that moment, they've lost control of you. And their goal is to get back, get you back under control so they can have a nice life without worrying about yourself and and let's don't get mad I'm just saying that's not really the grace approach I've had people off and on ask me you know well how does this grace impact you know child rearing or whatever you know it it, it really really great it'll greatly impact how you deal with your children or grandchildren if you allow it to because not a lot of you don't like it because you want to beat first and ask questions second that's what I was raised and that's just the way it was and don't try, to, don't try to pigeonhole me in some, you can't figure me out. I'm too complicated. I can't even figure my own self out. I know you can't figure me out. Now listen, all I'm saying, thanks, Howard. <laughs> Brothers, amen. All I'm telling you is this. What, what, instead of beating on the desk, threatening, you know, screaming, beating that kid, why not just try grace one time? Just try it. If it don't work, you can always go back to what you've been doing. I don't know if you've ever had, you know, I've, I've had, you know, three kids. Uh, I'll just say I had one of those kids one time that went through a really rebellious time, and, and, and I was living that. And I really didn't have the revelation at that point of grace. Now, my grown kids today say I am totally a different dude than what raised them. Now, their versions of me, it's just lies. 
<laughs> just, I saw why I know say it. Their version is just total lies. <laughs> so if they ever tell you anything, don't believe a word they say. Because they're three liars. <laughs> I was, if I could go back in time, you know, I guess we all feel like this, maybe. But if I could go back and be that dad again, knowing what I now know of God's grace, I, I would do it different. I, I'm just going to say that I would do it different. I remember one time we had a little four-wheeler, and, you know, for some reason that always stands out in my mind, but it had a little winch on the front of it, you know. And so my youngest takes it in the swamp where we live. You know, we had a swamp back creek, and he took it back there. And, of course, you know, that's what bogged it down, and you know, and, and he'd run the winch cable all the way out and around a tree and, you know, and, and tried to pull it, pull himself out, and that didn't go well. And then, you know, if you understand like, <laughs> like fishing reels, we basically he bird nested that that cable. He couldn't get it to go back in, and it was just mangled all up. And it was, he, of course, he had to come get me, and uh, and I had to get something else to go get him out. And all. you know, and I just remember, you know, me just really, you know, getting on him. I mean, beat a kid or nothing, but I was just like, man, what you think? <laughs> you know, and I'm just yelling, and I'm, you know. So now as, a, as an older guy, I play that video back. I, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't be that guy. The kid's just using the winch for what the winch is for. You, you're in a four-wheel vehicle. You want to bog it down to see if it'll bog, and you got a winch to drag the thing out if it does bog. Everything he was doing was what it's made for. What you want the winch? Just sit there and look pretty and never be reeled out? And here I freaked all out because it messed it up and had to, you know, anyway, just a whole. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't be that guy again. I'd go, son, well, you tried. Now, let me show you how you get that cable to actually go back in without bird nesting it. And I'd used it as a little teaching time instead of a yelling time. That, that's just an example of my, and, and I got more of them than I'd like to tell you I do, but I, I just wouldn't be that guy. I wouldn't be as hard on my kids in that way. And that's why I'm not that way with my grandkids. And I know more than their parents do. <laughs> and so when that kid brings home the Fs, or they're just failing at whatever area, instead of you freaking out and screaming and threatening, that's law. You're going to try to beat them back in. See, because I had a kid one time that I, I about whipped him every day because I was raised on whippings myself. You, you just don't, I mean, I love my parents and all, but they got, out, they got caught up in a lot of that legalism and stuff, you know. And, and we didn't even go to church, and yet I got one of the worst whippings I ever got in my life for saying gosh and golly. We didn't even go to church. We lived in Vidalia, and I got, as we say, as they used to say, the tar beat out of me with a belt for saying gosh and garly that, that I picked up at school. I'm a third grader. I got one of the worst whippings of that in my life, and I'm 61, and I can remember that one for saying gosh and golly. And the whole time I'm getting whipped, I'm saying gosh and golly. <laughs> but you know why I got such a bad whip? Because my parents were taught that that was bringing God's name and calling his name in vain, breaking one of the big ten. And my parents going to make sure I wasn't going to break that big ten. Because they took gosh and golly as God. 
and they were taught that mess. So it was like I was, I was committing a diabolical breaking one of the Big Ten. Now, my parents wouldn't be that parent again if they, because they, they just didn't know. See, that's why I hate legalism and all that stuff, because it, 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 it'll screw up your life and your kids and your family and all of it, man. It, it'll ruin you. We're saying golly or gosh. People don't even blink when that's now, you know. But you just got to understand, I mean, that's, that's how we were raised. We were raised, you know, this was real popular saying, wholeness or hell. That's what it is, wholeness or hell. It is wholeness, but it ain't something you achieved. It's something you received. You were gifted holiness when you got born again. Read Ephesians 4, fourth chapter. It says that's how you were created when you were born again. So you got to understand the statement I love to make a lot is Christ is Christ in you, the hope of glory. But you're in Christ, if any man be in Christ. I love to say this, God put you in Jesus so he could treat you like Jesus. See, you don't get stuff from God now in this habitational culture because of your behavior. You get it because of your geographic location. You're in Christ. So back to the kid, when that kid brings home and, and they're failing in every area, I had a kid that I would spank. I hated to do that. You know, whip the kid and hoping that tomorrow he won't bring home that yellow slip. But tomorrow he'd bring it home again. And I mean, one day I sat him on the side of the bed. I said, son, I said, now, one or two things going to happen. My arm, daddy's arm's going to give slime out or your butt's going to give out. I don't know which one's going to happen. But I said, I'm putting the money on my arm's going to last longer than your butt will. And I said, you, you got to straighten up this. And I'd tell him all, you know, ain't none of that work. And I remember going in my, you know, just talking to my wife. I was scared. As a parent, I ain't lying to you, I was scared because my, my go-to that I used with the other two was work, working on them, didn't work on him. You could beat him and five minutes later be doing the same thing you got me for. What you going to do then? If that's all the tools you got in your toolbox, you just run out of tools. It ain't one size fits all. God's grace is sufficient. I'd like to be able to go through that season again, but I don't have the opportunity now. But I was doing the best I knew how to do with what I knew how to do at that time. And so I'm not going to go on no guilt trip and not going to eat pills try to get over it. Okay? I did the best I could. It, with what I knew. But grace is here now. So if the 10-year-old brings home failing report cards, now, I ain't going to make me happy nothing, but I'm going to say, man, dog, son, how you get this many Fs? You know what I mean? Was you even at school? Did you? <laughs> but I say, listen, buddy, Listen, you know, you know, you're in school for a reason. You're there to learn. You're going to have to pass to be advanced, but that's okay if you, if you know. I want you to understand this first and foremost. I love you, and I'm going to love you no matter how many Fs you bring home. I love you the same. So, but if you don't get this together in a couple of years, you know, you're still going to be in the fifth grade while all your other buddies have moved on to the seventh. But that's okay. That's cool. Because you and your sister that's coming up behind you, y'all can go to school together. And you'd be in the same class with her. 
and y'all can study together, and y'all can now have friends together, and y'all can hook up, and, and, she, and no matter how long it takes you, then she can just hang right there with you because that's what she's coming right up behind you. That kid all of a sudden has just gotten a revelation. He's like, wait a minute. I, and all of a sudden the responsibility, instead of it being on you, because you ain't taking the class and making the else, falls on the one that it should fall on, and that's the kid himself. And all of a sudden the kid's motivated now to do something without threatening, screaming, hollering, cussing, beating the table, kicking stuff, throwing stuff, and all that stuff. That's, no, that's the whole legal law way. And you've just exposed that kid to love, which is God's grace, unmerited favor. It doesn't change. My grown kids and stuff, I mean, I, I, what I'm telling you now, I've practiced. <clears throat> and I've said, I, no matter what you do, I love you. I watched two or three of my kids go through horrible divorces. The church ain't really all sympathetic when the pastor's kids go through divorces as a general rule. When I first became pastor of this church in, in, in 2010, my oldest was going through a, a tough time in his life. He's the one that normally is on these drums. He's in Mexico today suffering for Jesus. <laughs> he had to fly to Cancun. Y'all pray for him. <laughs> uh, his company, they, they want a trip. And uh, to get to go for their company, so, you know, I'm, I'm proud for them. But that little fella's been on the drum since he was a five-year-old kid playing in church, and that's the truth. Not because, oh, ain't that cute, he can't play, but let's just have, no, he was, he beat out all the grown folks when he was five. He could play better than any of them. Going through a real tough time in his life. You know, while I was talking to my neighbor yesterday, we was out there both doing our yards, and we just stopped to chat a little bit. We were talking about some things, you know, and he said to me one thing. He said, I want to tell you something. He said, you know, the most unhappiest people in the world are people that, that life didn't follow the script that they had planned out for it. And he said, and I want to tell you, there was a time in my life I was one of them. He said, because life don't follow the script that we have portrayed out and, and you got to learn to live and 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 roll with God God's with you but it's not going to work out like you want it God's not going to follow your script but and a lot of time it ain't God anyways you it's you you're making decisions every day that's not a condemning thing it's just a reality but if, if you if you have the foundation that that God's not doing this to me now, when you do wrong, make bad choices, there's pain involved with that. But it's don't, if you ever get confused and think, God's behind this. God's the one that's doing this to me. God's the author of this pain. God's trying to teach me something. You, you are on a road for destruction. Because when the God that you turn to and look to, if he becomes the one doing it to you, how are you going to pray with a clear heart to him? How are you going to talk to him? How are you going to pray to that God if God snatched your baby uh, that was four years old and put it in a casket because he needed another angel in heaven? dumbest mess I've ever heard in my life and he said every week in this nation at some funeral and you know what they tell the parents don't question God he never makes a mistake he's too right to ever be wrong he you know just don't question God so just in other words just shut up and take it 
See, that's all cool for you sitting out there if that ain't your kid in the casket. But if that's your kid in the casket, see, and then I'm left with the shrapnel of trying to help those kind of people navigate. Most of those people tell God, you know, you know, leave heaven and go to the other place. And it's, and it's interwoven in all kind of stuff. Watching a movie the other day, seen it before, just wanted to watch it again. You might not like it, that's cool, I'm still saved. Called Open Range, Robert Duvall and Kevin Costner. Great movie. But one of their, one of their traveling companions, one of their workers gets killed and all messed up and Robert Duvall, buddy, he lets God hold it in that movie. He tells him what he thought about him. And then Kevin Costner comes behind and said, I'm, a, I'm, I'm agreeing with, with boss what he said about you. He said, you let this befall our, you know, and cause a guy's name. That view right there, that's how most of the world sees God. In other words, God could have stopped it. God, you know, and and, and they, want, they don't want to blame God. See, a lot of people don't like me to talk like that, I guess, because it kind of makes them nervous. But see, but I, I'm not afraid to deal with it because we've got to stop it because it's blasphemous to accuse God of such atrocities. That is not who God is. That's not who God is. The Bible says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. If it's got to do with stealing, killing, and destroying, that ain't God. If it's got to do with you having life and more abundantly, that's God. Don't get confused. I've preached it for years. The sermon, God good, devil bad. It's really, you got to simplify your theology to be able to navigate through this life. Because life's going to throw some stuff at you, saved or not. You, it's coming. And I don't mean that, Prof. I mean, it's just, we're, this ain't heaven. Don't get confused. This is not heaven yet. It will be. But this ain't heaven yet. We're not there. Right? So you, 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 you live this life. But I, when, when my kids, when they've gone through stuff, I, I, you know, I've gone through the stuff, that, that little fellow that played the drums, you know, when he was little. And, and then so he's going through a tough time, going through a tough divorce. And most of the church that, that, that I raised him in, that I pastored, m most of the church just, you know, just, just cut him loose. I don't know what it is about a church when somebody in the church goes through a divorce that I got to feel like they got to pick sides. But I wish we could get mature enough in Christ that you don't just pick but one side and that's God's side and he loves both of them. <clears throat> but I watched him go through it. Thank God we, we had just transitioned to here. And, and I don't mean this like placating and politic. And I'm just telling you, this church loved my son. Now, the, the church I come from was still bang, banging on him pretty hard to the point that the pastor I turned to, I had, I, I had, to, I had to meet with him, with him. And they were like, well, you know, some of the people don't like it because you got him on the drums down there. <laughs> I said, listen, first off, ain't none of the business who I got on the drums at the church that I'm now pastor. And secondly, if we have half of what we claim to have, then him being in that atmosphere is going, we're going to impact him. He ain't going to throw no demons on us. And these elders are sitting here, ones I've always had, that I inherited and I love. But they'll tell you that during that season, I submitted myself to them. Because I said, I'm not going to be non-partial. That's my kid. And I tell you what, if we don't have him on the drums, I'm going to pay somebody to be on there. 
And I'm not going to put the guy on the polygraph and say, did you look at any porn last night before you got on the room this morning? See, y'all don't like that. That's too real for you. But I'm, I'm not going to run them through. I mean, what do I know? Now, I'm not going to put somebody on this stage and give them this mic that I got and let them teach and preach and declare things to you that I don't know who they are. Know those that labor among you. But whoever played the drum, I don't even know who played the drum. I, mean, I know I saw the guy up there, and I'm sure he's a great guy. And I trust my leadership on the praise team to put somebody on the drum. But he didn't teach you nothing, did he? He just beat on the drums. He said, that's cool. Well, what if he was in the bar last night? Well, I hope he got some sleep, but he was here this morning. <laughs> See, I mean, man, I'm way off the course here. I have found myself in a swamp here. But see, I've grown up with all that religious stuff, and I'm just so sick of all that. I've, I've had times in my life where, you know, and it's like you want people to just fly in here with angel wings to be. So, you know, that's why that the world has the greatest musicians most of the time than the church doesn't. I've always said, you know, like the guy playing the bass, the guitar, the drum, stuff. I mean, they ain't teaching and preaching. Bring them in. We need them. Bring them in. Let them hang out with us. Let them be loved on. Let them, let, let them hear the music we're playing. Let them come on. I can't believe that brother plays in the clubs, man, and you got him on your stage. Yeah, I do. And proud of it. I've had one brother on the stage uh, at times with the guitar here on Sunday morning and went to the Salty Snapper on Sunday night and watched him play there. He said, good to see you, Derek. God bless you, man. Appreciate you being there this morning. Let's get it on. And all you with your dials on something else besides Christian music anyway, and you're going to be... <laughs> Okay, I got to get back on track. I told my son, I said, son, we, we, you know, he said, daddy, I'm there for you. Appreciate you. Love you. And just loved him through it. We had somebody call our house talking about, you know, we, I, we, we you know, one it's, you know, we, we won't, we would be upset with y'all talking, talking to my wife, talking about, unless, you know, we just want to know y'all being hard on him. That we're going to be hard on our kid. Oh, that's, gonna, that's what does it then. No, what you do is love never fails. Love never fails. <laughs> you don't love what they do. You don't love the decisions. You, a lot of that stuff is wrong. But you love them. That is grace. And I have learned that, and I am still learning it. I'm not the perfect example of God's grace, but I have learned that. And I've learned that to do with my kids. I've learned that to do with my grandkids. Now, I, remember I told you this one time before. I remember one Sunday we left and we, we tried to go eat as a family. And one of my grandkids was just off the chain that day, man, just showing out big time. And just couldn't, just couldn't get it together. Just going to keep on and just disturbing and tearing up. And, and so I just find, you know, and it wasn't pleasant at all trying to. And then you're going to pay the people to, you know, enjoy that atmosphere, you know. For, and I just, I got, I got him. I said, come on, man, let's go. And, uh. And so I just left with him. And I wasn't pleased. I would like to have stayed, 
but it we just it was just out of control. And I had done told him, you know, if you don't straighten up, your Mimi's going to really get you. <laughs> but that didn't work. <laughs> that usually works, but that didn't work. And I remember on and on, you know, went home, and we got home, and we you know we had you know, we didn't have nothing to eat. And I said, well, "What you want for lunch, buddy?" And he was just looking at me, y'all, confused. And I said, well, you ain't had nothing to eat, man. We got to get something to eat. What you want? And uh, he said, I thought I was going to have to just go stay in, in the room back there. I said, you ain't had no lunch. I said, Papa, you can fix you something. What you want? So he told me. He was sitting out, got his lunch together. We had some leftover stuff. And, and I, I said, listen to me, son. I, I want you to understand something. I said, I love you no matter what. I said, there's nothing you'll ever do to make Poppy not love you. You know, when I told him, he started crying. And it, and it drew that kid to me closer. And I didn't scream. I didn't yell. I didn't badger him all the way home about his behavior. You know, I mean, I, I don't say I didn't address it. I mean, you, you just can't act like that, son. I mean, you, you just... You, you, you know, it's tearing up the whole atmosphere of everybody. You know, you can't, even the people next door to us, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you, got, you can't do that. And that's why we left. But I, I didn't, I, we didn't leave because I'm mad at you. I love you. I've looked at my, my youngest kid that's gone through divorce. Tough times, man. And I've told him over and over because, I mean, it's been so hard on him. And I said, son, I love you. And I've told him over and over, my wife knows I'm telling the truth. I said, Dale, you, you'll never do anything to make me not love you. You're 32 years old, ma'am, but Daddy loves you, buddy. I love you. And I'm going to always love you. Sometimes I don't like what you're doing. I don't like the decisions you're making. And I don't like the pressure you're putting on me to try to help you through this. I don't like none of that. But I absolutely love you. And I will love you on your worst day. I will love you on your best day. I'm going to be here for you. I'm going to love you. I, I, I'm your dad. And I said, son, I ain't nothing compared to God. I'm not even worthy to be even mentioned. And I said, if I, if, if, if I be in a natural man, in an in a earth body, can love you like that, how much more does your heavenly father love you? I said, that's what I'm trying to get you to see. Because I said, I, I'm, I'm put on here to represent, represent him to you. I, I'm put on here as a dad to demonstrate God's grace to you. I'm put on here to represent God to you so that you may catch a glimpse or a glimmer of how much your father loves you. And oh, sometimes he would come at, well, why don't he talk? Or why don't he do this? Or where is he at? I said, where he's always been. Inside you. I said, you don't doubt you're born again, do you, son? He said, no doubt. I know I'm saved. I said, well, that's right where he's at. Because it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is in you, son. Another sign of covenant confusion is if you pray and you have to get the prayer through. Prayer through what? I told you this last Sunday. You're, God's here. You're in Christ. Christ's in you. See, but if you have that mental image that God's way up there, I've got to shoot a prayer through. The devil might, he, you know, hit shoot some bazookas at my prayer and it won't get to God. 
Or God might not listen to my prayer because I sinned and he's mad at me and he's pouting and he's not talking to me and he's going to show me and he's not going to answer my prayer. Now, all that's bull. If you ain't hearing God talk, it's okay. He ain't got nothing to say to you right that. Do Just hang with the last thing he ever said to you. That means he's given you enough to make it through what you're going through. And if you needed, if you needed something to get through what you're going through, he would say, sometimes God don't need to talk a lot. Sometimes you can be in a storm and he can just say one word, come. That's all you need to walk on water. Just one word from God. But just because you think you need it, that don't make God know that you need it. God, is, God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing, and he knows what you need. And, he's not, and he says, the Bible says he will withhold no good thing from you. None. And you've got to get it right in your heart and mind to make it through these tough times sometimes. And so you don't allow the enemy to get you to question God or doubt his love or doubt that he's there with you and for you. God's not only in you, I mean for you, he's in you. It's, he's in you. And, and so and, 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 and so the habitational culture changes the way we pray. Now listen, we used to pray, if we didn't understand this, we prayed from earth towards heaven, and you know we did. But now we pray from heaven towards earth. We don't pray to God, we pray with God. Do you understand? We are now seated with Christ in heavenly places, which means we now see things totally differently than we did before. We see things from a heavenly perspective and an eternal perspective than we do a temporal perspective. We're not trying to get a prayer through. Therefore, we do not have to get a petition up. I'm not against prayer change. Do not send me no email. But I am against people trying to manipulate God with numbers to think that your heavenly father is like some judge who will not hear your prayer unless you can produce 100 signatures. I see it all the time on Facebook. We need to get as many people praying as we possibly can for this kid. Why? Because you know what? Your view of God is so screwed up, man. You think God is not going to respond, and so you're, you're having to talk God into something. You're having to convince God to love this kid as much as you do. In other words, you're saying you love the kid even if it's your kid more than God does. And you're trying to get God's attention, and you're trying to manipulate God with numbers. And so we got this church, we got the whole nation praying. We got a thousand people. We need a million people to pray. Listen, God, don't hear because you got a million people praying. What kind of sadistic God does that make him out to be? And that's why Jesus gave the parable of the wicked judge. And preachers take that parable that Jesus is about the wicked judge, and they make that as a pattern for prayer in the church. And it says the widow comes and, and she comes to the, to the wicked judge and, and petitions him and he won't hear her. And yet she keeps coming and keeps coming. And this wicked king says in this parable that Jesus is telling that by her continual coming she wearies me. And finally he, 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 he acquiesces and gives her her petition. And then we stop reading right there. And the next verse in that parable, Jesus said, your father is not like this. He will speedily and quickly answer his kids. He's not like this. It was, it, was a, it was not a portrayal of this is, you know, hang in there, persevere, keep praying, keep. No, no. He was saying God's not like this. You don't have to do like this. To He's a good father. He, he'll listen to you. You don't have to get a petition up. You don't have to get 100 people on your side and show God, I got 100 people praying. Come on, heal my kid now. 
All of that is ridiculous religious foolishness. Are y'all okay? See, it's, it's like this when I'm, you know, kicking religious cows around. <laughs> but you know it. I mean, you come on now. Am, am I like, you know it's the truth. And you, you see all this stuff. How many of you see this stuff on social media? We need to get many people hands popping. And hey, listen, and I, I, my heart goes out to parents that are in a crisis with their kid because I've been in crisis with my kids. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with petitioning the church and your family and people to pray and join you in prayer. Nothing wrong with that. But all I'm saying is don't approach it as if God's not going to hear your prayer or he'll only hear this dude's prayer or you got to get 100 people praying in order to twist God's arm to get him to finally, you know, give it up and do what, what you... That would make God... That, that's just a, that's a horrible image of God. And I'm trying to blow all that away so that even when crises do come, and they do come sometimes... And sickness, but you can just stand there on that foundation that is sure, that confidence. I have a father that loves me. He loved me when I was yet a sinner. He loves me. Father, I know that you hear me. Your, your, the New Testament said, if I ask anything according to thy will, I know that you hear it. And if I know that you hear me, I know you, I have the petition that I've put before you. And I know it's your will to heal. That's why you suffer stripes. And I'm not going to get the healing because of I'm praying the exact right prayer or because I've done this or I've fasted or I, no, no, but by your stripes. It's all by your stripes I was healed, by your stripes. And so I claim those stripes as my very own, and I receive the healing today. You ever pray that and don't, the healing don't manifest? I have. But a healing is not a miracle, and you get confused. We lay hands on the sick and they shall Okay, what, what? Recover. It didn't say you lay hands on the sick and everybody you lay hands on is going to get an instant miracle. Does those happen? Absolutely. I've seen many of them, hundreds. But one thing you can know is they'll recover. You stand on God's word. Healing. When you go to the doctor, you don't get a miracle, do you? But you, you, you go to the doctor in hope of getting a healing. What does he do with the healing? He says, take these pills, don't do this, don't eat this, do this. And you begin to follow that regimen. And you know what? Your body responds to that. I mean, if you're going to do all that with pills and stuff, won't you do that with the Word of God? The Word of God is health to my bones. He, actually, in my navel, God says, my navel. It connects you back to where your life comes from, and that was through your mom. That umbilical cord. You understand what I mean by that? God, God says that Word of God. The Word of God. And so sometimes we just we, we get where we don't want to stand. You just have to stand on the Word of God and quote the Word of God. And I lay hands on myself. <laughs> I mean, I do when I'm sick sometimes. I just lay. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying I don't have people to pray for me. But I mean, you know, I've, I've laid hands on myself many times, even here lately. And I just said, God, I, I declare your promise. And I, and I speak to to my body here. I speak to, you know, and if I know what organ or what's going, I, speak, I just say, God, I speak to this for it to line up and come in harmony with what you have declared in your word for me. And, and you may do that and feel pain to me. That, that doesn't nullify it. That there, There's an enemy that don't want us to, <laughs> to get all this. Amen? Stand with me. You understand that grace is a habitational culture. 
We're not visiting with God. That's why, you know, and you, you're here, Lord, we pray for a visitation. But we don't want a visitation, do we? Do you see how wrong it would be for us to even pray that prayer now to God? Lord, we just pray for a visitation. <laughs> visitation. God says, I'm living you, and you live in me. You're one spirit now with me because you've been born again. And I'm just telling you, if we, if we walk this out and live that way, we're, we're, we're going to, when, when difficulty comes, and I, and I pray, you, you know, but I just know where life is. But I watch so many people fold up like a $2 suitcase when they're going through tough times because what happens is they, they really deep down don't have a sure foundation to stand on. And they question God's love. And all those other stuff that they've been taught, which is wrong, comes flying back. Like maybe God's behind this. If God's behind your sickness, who are you going to pray to for healing? Just suck it up and take it then. You see how messed up that is? And it removes hope. We can't live this life without faith. And, and, and we need hope in whatever uh, situation that, that we find ourselves in. And when I've watched myself, my family, my kids go through tough times and, you know, and only my wife and my family, close family knows, you know, what we have, me and my wife have lived in since this year, from January. And even my own mom said, how do you, you know, watching from, from uh, Madison, Florida, <laughs> love you, mom, but. Said, son, I don't even know how you go in the pulpit. I'm, I'm not trying to get you to feel sorry for me. Because God doesn't change. The message doesn't change. It, it, it's the same. I, 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 God has been tried in the courtroom of my heart years ago as good. And so I no longer hear any accusations against him of him not being good. And when I go through hurt and pain and things I don't understand and things are not going according to the way I want them to go, it does not cause me to question his goodness, nor does it cause me to question his love for me. And I would, I would just simply stand and say, God is good. I can't explain this. I, don't, I, I got no answers. I ain't supposed to have answers to everything. One of the greatest blessings as a believer is learning to live with mystery. It's not so much what you know that gets you through. It's understanding that there's going to be things in this life I'm not going to have the answer to at this point. But that's okay. I know who's got the answer to it. And I am not going to allow the enemy to interpret this circumstance as Father don't love me and he's, not, and he's no longer for me. There are times in my life, I want to tell you, I'm just as human as you are, man. And we have found ourselves seeing like everything I touch lately tears up. Don't let me touch your car on the way out, okay? Ain't it right, Sister Jill? And she said, you know, and we've said this of, of lately. It's like money goeth. I, I want to I be claiming money cometh. But right now it's been money goeth. This tears up. This tears up. This tears up. You know, this is $600 to fix it. This is $500 to fix it. This is, let's just make an a, a, a appointment at the Ford place, see what's going to cost to fix that. I mean, and so it's like here lately it's like, my God. Yeah. Yeah, it was like everything's just, you know, and, and if you're not careful in that moment, you, you feel like, I feel like I'm under a curse. You're not under a curse. 
you're dealing with stuff in life, man. Now, what I do just to make sure that I keep all the bases covered, when that was happening and happening here right recently, last few weeks, I just, I will, in my own privacy and in my own, I, I just say, listen here, devil. I rebuke you from devouring my finances. I am blessed and highly favored to God. I command you to get your hands off of my finances and off of my stuff. In the name of Jesus, I take authority over you. And if you're behind any of this, which I suspect you probably are, I rebuke that. And you shall not devour my harvest and that that God's blessed me with. And then once I prayed that one time, I'm good with that. I just, I just touched the base. I'm, I got it covered now. Just in case that he's up to something. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then what you going to do? I'm going to go to work. I'm going to get it in my truck, and I'm going to go to work, and I'm going to go do the things I know to do. And, and, and best I can tell, I'm 61. I have never seen Dale forsaken nor Dale begging bread. You know what I'm saying? And God's always provided. And now I got all this time under the belt. I feel like the rest of what time I got, most of mine's behind me instead of in front of me. But I feel like he's going to make it all the way through to the end with me. And I don't know what I'll be doing and what, what avenue or vocation even. I mean, I don't know all the answers to all that. But I know this, God is for me and God's going to provide for me. And, 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 and it ain't contingent upon all. God's still God. And I rest in that. And sometimes I have to be reminded of that. God says that I, I, not a sparrow falls to this earth that I'm not mindful of. And he said, aren't you much more valuable to me than sparrows? He said, for they neither sow nor plant, they neither reap. They don't have barns to store up to seed in, but yet I feed every one of them. How much more valuable to, to, to me are you than them? And I have to remind myself, you know what? And sometimes I'll just see a bird in the tree, and I go, he ain't got no checking account. He ain't got no savings account. He ain't, he ain't getting nothing from the government. He, he, and and if, if you mistake it, you go, he's on his own. He's not on his own. He's got a father looking out for him. And, and God says, I feed him. I, I clothe him. I take care of him. I, I, I feed him in the winter. I feed him in the summer. I feed him in the spring. I, I feed him all the That's my bird. I made that bird. And I just have to. I have to go, wait a minute, what am I freaking out for here? What am I so worried about tomorrow? What if? What if? You can't do it like that. It robs you of today. It robs you of the joy of today. Amen? Happy 4th of July. Okay? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your promises in your word that are yes and amen to every one of us. And we receive that grace, that habitational culture of the grace of God, that you don't come and visit and leave us. You're always in us. You're always for us. And we praise you for that truth today, that truth that will make us free from the fear of religion and all that bondage that goes with it. We do it, declare it, and pray it in Jesus' name, the name that's above every name, Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. Go and enjoy the fourth. God bless you.